17. Matthew 17. And if you'll focus your attention on verses 24 through 27. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. How are you feeling this morning? You okay? Well... It's spring. Spring brings projects. Spring being brings with it uh, extra time to be outside and lots of things going on. How are you feeling this morning? Well, some of us have slept two nights out of the last three in a tent on the ground. That's something that I don't do normally. <laughs> I don't make a habit of sleeping on a tent or in, on the ground uh, in a tent. My alarm woke me up this morning. That's not always the case. In fact, rarely it is the case on a Sunday morning that my alarm will wake me up. But it did this morning. I was thankful for it. But I get here this morning and I visit and I look around and I understand that, well, there's a lot of us maybe dragging a little bit this morning. You've been taking trips. You've got projects going on at home. You've got different things going on in your life. And you have reason to be dragging this morning. I'll be honest with you. I was dragging a little this morning. But I get here, and it changes everything. It changes everything when we assemble together, when we can be with God's people, and we can be led in wonderful songs with wonderful thoughts, and we can think about Jesus, and we can think about His sacrifice. And I appreciate Brother Carl and those wonderful words, thinking about the specifics of God's Word and what it has to say, and it breathes life into us, doesn't it? It's wonderful to be here this morning. I am glad that we are here. I'm awake, I'm excited, and I'm ready to look into the Word of God. I appreciate Brother Jim reading for us the entirety of what I want to view this morning in Matthew chapter 17. You know, this week brings with it April the 15th. Now, in a normal year, which I don't know what that looks like anymore, uh, April the 15th used to mean something, right? That's tax day, and this week brings with it tax day, and normally it would. Well, we've been on a fishing trip when we caught a few fish, and Here we combine taxes and fishing right together in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. I want you to consider with me for just a moment miracles. Are you in the habit of categorizing miracles into categories such as big miracles, 
the big miracles that Jesus was able to perform. You know that at one point, Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a small amount of food that was carried by a little boy. And when it was done, they picked up baskets full of leftovers after he fed all of those people. That's a big miracle, isn't it? Jesus walked on water. That's a big miracle. Jesus uh, was able to calm a storm that men thought was going to take their very lives and sink the ship that they were in. He stood up and he spoke and it stopped. That's a big miracle. In John chapter 11, we have a big miracle, don't we? A man has been in a tomb for four days and Jesus calls his name and he comes walking out and the Bible says that he is bound in grave clothes and he said, loose him and let him go. A lot of people were there. A lot of people saw it. You and I have never witnessed a miracle. We've never seen anything close to to what the Bible describes a miracle to be, that which is supernatural. It goes against nature. Jesus could do it. But what about the the small miracles? You know, the small miracles that you and I would talk about. In Matthew chapter 17, we might be tempted to say, well, well, here's just a a small miracle. This is just Jesus and Peter. I suppose Peter didn't keep this one to himself. I suppose he would go and tell other people about it. But there's not a large crowd. There's not a big storm. There's nobody dead in in Matthew chapter 17. In fact, this miracle that we read about in Matthew chapter 17 is only recorded by Matthew. It's unique to Matthew. No one else, Mark doesn't talk about it, Luke doesn't talk about it, John doesn't mention it. Only Matthew mentions it. I want you to think about it with me because what we're going to see is there really is no such thing as a big miracle or a small one. They're all miracles and they're all written for purpose. You know, in fact, John would say at the end of John's letter in chapter 21, he would say that that Jesus did many things which are not recorded in this book, but he said even if you tried to record everything that Jesus did, he supposed, I suppose, that uh, all the books in the world couldn't contain all that Jesus did. Well, here's one that Matthew records for us, and I think it's important for us to look at. I want you to notice some context before we look at the specifics, and then there are three words that we'll consider before our time has ended this morning. It won't take us a long time, but I want you to consider it with me. Notice the context of what we're dealing with in Matthew chapter 17. I want you to notice that in the the greater context, what Matthew is doing when it includes this miracle, is he's talking about the deity of Jesus. What does Jesus mean to you? And what is so special about him? Why do I need to obey him? And why do I need to, to desire others to obey Jesus? Who is he to me? Who is he to you? And who does he need to be to those who are out in the world? Well, Matthew is in a context of talking about the deity of Christ. If you back up to chapter 16, begin reading with me in verse 13, a familiar text, I hope, but think about the deity of Jesus in this greater context. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 13, Matthew records that when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who am I? Who is Jesus to you? What if Jesus were to be standing in front of you and and ask, you know, who do men say that I am? And you respond perhaps the same way that they did. Well, Jesus, I'm saying that you're very special. You know, you're someone that that is to be admired. You're somebody that, that people can see. Obviously, there is something different about you. You know, some say that you're one of the prophets. Some say you might be Jeremiah. Some say you're, you're John the Baptist. And then he looks at you in the eye and he says, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter, being outspoken, says, You're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus speaks in the affirmative. That's right. Blessed are you for understanding that, for seeing that, for looking at the evidence, Peter, and recognizing deity. I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. I am God in the flesh. And upon that statement of truth, I will build my church. I will build that which the called out will belong to. A congregation, an assembly of the saved. I will build my church. I am here to die. I am the Savior of the world. And those who will believe in me, those who will obey me, they can be a part of my church. The church that belongs to Christ. The church of Christ. But it's all based on His being deity. It's all based on His being divine. The Son of God. God in the flesh. Now you keep perusing through this context and you'll come to Matthew chapter 17. And you remember at the beginning of John chapter 17, the first eight verses, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and He goes up on the mountain and He is transformed, transfigured in front of them. And they see that Jesus... Changes his appearance completely, the Bible says. And and he begins to converse, and they recognize that he is conversing with Moses and Elijah. And they hear this voice from heaven, right? In John chapter 17, or Matthew chapter 17, and and verse number uh, uh, 5, while he is still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. A voice from heaven. Comes down and says, you know what? This isn't, this isn't the time for Moses any longer. A representative of the Old Testament law. He said, no, this isn't the time for Moses any longer. This isn't the time for Elijah any longer. Representative of the Old Testament prophets. This is the time of my son. Listen to him. Hear him. My son. Deity. Divine. God in the flesh. Who is Jesus to you? What importance does He play in your life? Why does He need to be important in the lives of our neighbors and our loved ones? Matthew's proving the deity of Jesus. That's what we're looking at. You come down off the mountain and the Bible in Matthew chapter 17 records that Jesus cast a demon out of a boy. What's He doing? He's demonstrating deity. He is showing His divine nature. His power over Satan. I am God. And I have the power. 
Matthew is proving deity. I want you to know that in the context of what we're dealing with now as we drop to the end of Matthew chapter 17 and we're speaking to the deity of Jesus. That's the context of what we're dealing with. The deity of Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 17, I said there are three words that I want you to consider. You write in your Bible, you can mark these down. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. If you're taking mental notes, then take a mental note. Think about three words. How do we understand or what do we recognize about the deity of Jesus? How do, we under, how do we know that He is God in the flesh? Jesus shows deity through anticipation. That's word number one. Anticipation. Jesus anticipates. Now, if you look, there's this conversation that takes place in Matthew chapter 17. And I don't want to get too bogged down here, but it involves tribute. King James says, temple tax. Uh, Other translations have there in Matthew chapter number 17, uh, the one collecting this tax comes and asks, does your teacher not pay the didrachma or the two drachma? Other translations say half shekel is what it was worth. If you jot down, go to Exodus chapter number 30, uh, beginning in verse 11, and we see the inception of this temple tax. This is not income tax. This is not a tax that Rome collects. This is a tax that was used to, uh, to help furnish the temple. Kind of the day-to-day, everything that was needed for sacrifices and everything that was needed to furnish the temple, they would collect this tax. It had become a, a voluntary tax. Most commentators agree. And it seems that that's kind of the wording of the question. Peter, does your master pay this tax? Does he pay this tax or not? Again, it's, it's not a big amount. The rich people would pay the same amount as poor people. It was just a tax that was paid. And does your teacher pay this tax or not? So gee, Peter says, well, of course he does. Yes. And then the Bible says this, this conversation took place outside. Get, the, get it. See with me. This took place outside because then the Bible says in verse number 25 that he came into the house. And Jesus anticipates Peter. Jesus, uh, King James says, prevents Peter. Other translations say there that Jesus spoke to Peter first. Well, the idea behind that is, I think, captured best in the New King James here, particularly, where it is the idea of anticipating. Now, this may or may not be a big deal, but I think it's important to, to point out Because here is this conversation that Peter had outside the house with this one who had come by to collect the tax or the tribute. And now Peter goes into the house. And before Peter can say anything to Jesus, Jesus anticipates what's coming. How does he do that? Well, he knows what's coming. It's a demonstration of power. It's a demonstration of of his divine nature. Without Peter even opening his mouth, Jesus already knew the conversation that was about to take place. He he knew what Peter had just been asked outside the house. And so now he comes in and Jesus says, uh, Peter, let me just go ahead and, you know, he talks to him. He anticipates. I, I think it's important for us to remember, as we're looking at the deity of Jesus, to understand the divine nature as opposed to the finite nature which you and I possess. I think it's important for us to recognize deity and what deity can do as opposed to what we are able to do. Why is Jesus important? Why does He matter? Why should He matter to you and me? 
because he's deity. He's the son of God. Look at this and think about it with me. Keep your finger and go to John chapter 2. I want to say just a couple of things before we move to our second word. In this idea of deity anticipating, Jesus anticipates what Peter is going to do. And so in John chapter 2, we have these words recorded about Jesus and this idea of anticipating, of knowing what's about to take place uh, even when no one else could. In verse number 23, the last uh, three verses of John chapter 2, the Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. It's amazing when you stop to think about it, that, that Jesus said he didn't need somebody to walk up and say, Hey, Jesus, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about his character. Let me tell you what he's all about. Hey, hey Jesus, let me tell you about her. Let me tell you what she does for a living. Let me tell you what she's all about. Let me, let me tell you about her character. Jesus didn't need anybody to walk up and tell anybody about anybody else. He knew all men. He is able to discern the hearts of every individual. He knows me intimately. He knows everything about me. He knows my makeup. He knows my character. He knows my thoughts. He knows how I behave and act. He doesn't need you to tell him anything about me because he knows me. He knows me inside and out. He knows everything there is about me, and that's true of you. Now, that's demonstrated, right, at the next few verses of John chapter 3. You remember the Bible says in John chapter 3 that there was a ruler of the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night, and Nicodemus, he, he walks in and he says, you know, Jesus uh, speaks to him and, and, and says uh, in verse number 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do the things that you do except God is with him. You recognize that there was something obviously very special about Jesus. And you know, Jesus anticipates why Nicodemus had come. Jesus anticipates what he was doing. You know, all Nicodemus says is, Jesus, I know that you must have come from God because nobody can do what you do. But there's not a question there. It's just a statement. What does Jesus do immediately? He begins in verse number 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Seems to me he anticipates the thought that was in the mind of Nicodemus. Nicodemus never asked a question, but Jesus answered it anyway. Most assuredly, I say to you that, that no one can be born again, or no one can enter the kingdom unless he is born again. He anticipates what, what Nicodemus must have been thinking. He didn't even have to ask a question, and Jesus answered it. And that same idea is again found in John chapter 4, where Jesus is having this conversation with the woman at the well. And isn't this remarkable? In John 4 verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You've well said that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In this you have spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. He never met this woman. She was very certain she'd never met him. There's no way, and she knows, there's no way that Jesus could have known that. But he did. I'm reminding us of the deity of Jesus. 
Jesus anticipates what Peter is going to say even before he says it. It shows his deity. It shows his divine nature. We need to look up and recognize Jesus for who he is. And that's what the Bible is proving to us time and time again. And certainly that is true in Matthew chapter 17. The divine nature of Jesus. Why does he need to mean so much to me and to you? Because he is divine. He anticipates. Go back to Matthew chapter 17 and let me give you our second word. And the word is illustrates. Jesus anticipates. Jesus illustrates. He tells a story, doesn't he, about a king and his son. Peter, let me ask you a question. Who pays taxes? You got a king who sits in the palace. Does his son who lives in the palace with him, does the prince pay taxes to his father? Or is it those who live outside of the palace, the strangers, the one that the king doesn't know, uh, who live in his kingdom, do they pay taxes to the king? And Peter says, well, of course, the son doesn't pay taxes. The son doesn't pay taxes. The son doesn't owe his father. What's the point? Well, Jesus says, you're right, Peter. You nailed it. That's exactly the right answer. Of course, sons don't pay their fathers taxes. And what's the point? Peter, they're collecting temple tax. Tax to furnish what's in the temple. But, but do you see that temple? And I can almost picture it in my mind, right? They're not there uh, in Jerusalem proper. But, but you know about that temple? That's my father's house. I'm his son. Do I have to pay taxes to my father? What he's saying is, it's inappropriate for me to pay that tax. The sons are free. The son isn't supposed to pay taxes to the father. That house over there, that's my father's house. John 2 and verse 16. That's my father's house. It's inappropriate. It's unnecessary for me to pay this tax. He's proving his deity. He's proving who he is as the son of God. And then he makes this statement in verse number 27. Nevertheless, lest we offend them. I don't want to be offensive. I want to be above reproach. I don't want to give people a reason to be upset at me for out, without cause. I don't want this to be a stumbling block to others. What an attitude. This is deity speaking. This is the Son of God who's talking. Peter, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. I, I don't want this to be offensive. I don't want to give them cause to look at me and to think badly. I, I don't want to give them a reason to do that. Can we pause and think about that? The attitude of Jesus here that says, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to to do something that would cause others to stumble? You know what, what the opposite of that is? It's pride and arrogance. It's pride and arrogance that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's pride and arrogance that says, I'm not going to give thought to how this might look. I, I'm not going to give thought to how this might affect someone else. I'm going to do it anyway because I have the right to do it. Jesus didn't have to pay the tax. 
He was exempt. He was the son of God. But he says, I'm going to pay because I don't want to be offensive. Jesus illustrated his deity by telling the story and making it known that he knew and he was and he is the son of God. The third word is the word demonstrates. Jesus anticipates, Jesus illustrates, Jesus demonstrates his deity. He demonstrates his deity. Peter, go fishing. Of interest, it's the only time in the New Testament where we find a hook being used for fishing. All other times, it's, it's a net. But here specifically, he says, go and put a hook in the water. What a great thing, right? <laughs> Go and put a hook in the water. And Peter, the first fish that you pull up is going to have the exact amount, a full shekel, uh, exactly what you need for two people. A half shekel was the tax, and so you're going to pull up that fish's mouth, and you're going to pull up a stator. Other translations say the Greek coin, equal to an amount of a full shekel. And so it's the exact amount that was necessary for two people to pay this tax. So you're going to pull up the fish, you're going to open its mouth, you're going to find the exact amount you need, and you're going to go and pay that tax for me and for you. You're welcome. It's amazing, isn't it? To think about the fact that not only would it be just random, the the only fish that Peter would pull up, uh, pretty remarkable, and for some of us that uh, he would catch a fish at all, right? Not always is that the case even. But he was not only going to catch a fish, the first fish that he caught, he was going to pull it up, and he was going to have a coin necessary for him to go and pay the tax. This is quite a miracle, isn't it? I mean, that just doesn't happen. One time, yesterday morning, I threw out a hook, and a fish bit it the first time that I cast it out. I reeled it in. I looked in its mouth. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You ever had that, a fish with money in its mouth? I'm still looking for it, aren't you? I've never found a fish with money in its mouth. Peter, nobody has to know about this. You and me, we're going to know about this. You may choose to tell other people about it. Matthew writes it down for us to know. But he pulled up a fish with the exact amount of money in its mouth. And he went and paid the tax. You and I, we can't do that. Peter couldn't do that. Only Jesus could do that. I want you to think about his deity. Can I ask you a question for your consideration? Why didn't Jesus just pull the coin out of his pocket? I mean, if he can make it appear in a fish's mouth, then surely he could make one appear in his pocket. Why didn't he just pull the coin out of his pocket? Why didn't he say, hey, Peter, uh, hold on just a second, and just bend down and, and pick up a rock and have a coin under a rock and say, here, Peter, just, just go and pay it. I mean, if he could make it appear in a fish's mouth, then he could make it appear under a rock. Why didn't he just say, pick up that rock, Peter, pick up that rock over there, and, and look, go pay the tax. Why didn't he do that? Why did he do it the way that he did it? I don't guess we, we have a full and complete answer. I guess we, we can ask one day when we're in his presence, Jesus, why did you do it that way? But, but my mind says it had to be obvious that it was a miracle. 
It had to be obvious. I mean, that's pretty obvious that it's a miracle because that just doesn't happen. It needed to be clear evidence of his deity. You can't, you can't get around it, Peter. I am God. I want you to know. I want you to have never a doubt in your mind that I am God. My question now is, what does this passage do to affect your life? What does this passage do to affect your life? My friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is exactly who He says He is. And if He is, and He is, then we have a responsibility to follow Him. If Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and He is, then the significance is that everything He taught, I need to be willing to obey. He is the Christ. He is deity. I don't need to question His statements. I don't need to question His commands. I need to be willing to submit myself to Him as God, as deity. We need to follow Him because He really is the only way to get to the Father. John 14 and verse 6. Who is Jesus to you? You see, this is not just a silly miracle. This is one that should build our faith. This is one that should prove to us the deity of Jesus. Listen to me. A man who came in the flesh, one who could still storms, one who could bring dead people back to life, one who could put money in the mouth of a fish, he could have been the wealthiest person to ever live. Think about that. If you can make money appear in a fish's mouth, I mean, he could have had all of the wealth of the world. He could have had everything that this world could offer. He could have had a palace bigger than Solomon could ever dream of. But he didn't. He could have had more money than you and I could have in our wildest dreams. But he didn't. Jesus says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. The one who could make money appear in the fish's mouth says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. What does that tell you? It tells you that Jesus came not interested in what this earth could provide him. He wasn't interested in wealth. He wasn't interested in anything that this world could provide him. After all, he made it. He wasn't interested. His priorities were not interested in what this world could offer. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to redeem things. He came to redeem people. People are what matter. He came for you. He came for me. He came as God in the flesh, as deity. And my life must revolve around Him. He must be my all, my everything. 
I must love him with my entire being and long for nothing more than to be with him. Who is he to you? My friend, he came to die for you. This miracle is a great reminder of what we really need to be about. And so this morning, will you obey him? Will you do what he says you must in order to be saved? Will you understand the nature of his church? That the church belongs to him? That God made it, that God always had the church in his mind, a way of saving people and bringing them together? into one body, that no one else has a right to have their church, but we must belong to His. That's only possible if we obey Him. Have you obeyed Him to be saved today? Jesus came ultimately to die for you, so that you might have the hope of being saved. Will you respond to Him today? Do you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you ready this morning to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God? Are you ready this morning to repent of sin in your life, to turn away from sin, to follow Him? Are you ready this morning to be immersed in the waters of baptism, there meeting the precious blood of Jesus and having your sins forgiven? Who is Jesus to you? Is He your Savior? He wants to be, but that decision belongs to you. If you find yourself outside of Jesus this morning, will you come to Him and respond to His commands to be saved? And my friend, if you are a Christian and you've wandered away, that Jesus just hasn't been meaning as much to you, hasn't had the impact on your life that He must, and you need to respond this morning asking prayers of your brethren, something else in your life that you would like us to be praying for, well, the Lord's invitation is extended. And if you need to respond, then please do. By coming now, while together we stand and sing.